Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. For newcomers to this program, it is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness. And sometimes we explore various fringe topics such as sexuality and psychedelics and consciousness and uh, a really fun opportunity to get to integrate all of these different perspectives into one little platform. So appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. This conversation was with my good friend, Nimai Delgado. You may be familiar with him from, he's the world's most prominent uh, jacked vegan guy, probably. Uh, certainly vegan bodybuilder. Uh, he was the dude in Game Changers, the documentary all about vegan stuff. And um, he was the, the bodybuilder fellow in there. Slash, he's just a, an amazing, insightful human being. And we get into a lot of really valuable information in this guy. Um, before we get going, I wanted to include a couple interesting quotes that I got from Carl Jung. I got two. Are you ready? Uh, first one, modern men don't see God because they don't look low enough. That's pretty cool. I'm out here in Bend, Oregon, working on landscaping and uh, just getting a, a home out here into a better way. Um, moving rocks and mulch and shooting guns and doing all these things that I don't do in Los Angeles. And uh, it's great, man. There's like so much, I don't know, peace, serenity. Uh, maybe you could say God if you wanted to use the or, or tag off of the same Jung quote. And I think oftentimes we are looking into these high, prominent, holy, top of the mountain places to find some sense of spiritual well-being and I think we can find it in anything you can find it in taking a walk you can find it in a little kid laughing you can find it in just eye contact with a cashier at some shitty Walmart or whatever um, it's everywhere I think that uh, opening our eyes up to seeing the God which is a charged word but um, I don't know the, the depth the value the, the magic of the moment in any situation. I think that's a nice practice. Uh, the other one from Jung, doubling up, tag team and Jung, uh, beware of wisdom you did not earn. I'm probably guilty of that. Um, maybe what I just said was wisdom I haven't earned. Um, I think that's an interesting thing. People that, you know, they eat some mushrooms or they have some experience that all of a sudden they get the window opens up for them to see some things that perhaps, uh, you know, they saw through the window, but they didn't actually make the path to arrive at the place. And then they start wearing that image that they got as some type of um, kind of like spiritual clout, like a badge. And uh, But they haven't actually done the journey to get there. I think that the journey involves just life in general uh meditation be a, a good one um, going through challenging situations in your life such as now in the world holy crap riots and such in santa monica place where I, I live at i'm up here i have no idea what's going on i'm sitting in the back of my deck all i know about is mulch and the shape of different stones and fitting them together in the last like three weeks that's all i've been doing um but holy crap people are waking up and now i think is a time that we can really look at this situation in history and uh, see what's the lesson in it and uh, see it as a form of like mind yoga 
or uh, like an exercise, you know, or we maybe we're going through financial struggles, maybe we're going through physical struggles, uh, health struggles, maybe uh, friends or family are going through things. Um, that's essentially you are doing a deadlift. It's like a life deadlift, and there's way more weight on the bar than typical. Um, how do you react to that? Do you freak out? Do you have a panic attack? Do you just walk away from the bar? Uh, do you blow your back out because you did it with suboptimal mechanics? You know, so how can we build ourselves up in this situation to treat all of these cultural happenings as hormetic stressors for our mind, for our body, for our emotions, all things? All right, that was, that was a lot of words. Um, thank you guys so much for checking out the website. I hope you, if you have interest in learning how to sort out your, you got neck pain, shoulder stiffness, hip stiffness, back pain, any stuff like that. Uh, I highly recommend getting onto alignpodcast.com, starting the uh, free trial, first week, absolutely free for the online uh, program, online method, online program. And in there, we get down into how to effectively spend some time on the ground. We get into how to get your head on top of your shoulders. You know, so if you got that forward head posture stuff, it's nonsense. You don't need it. Makes the head heavy. Makes you look all weird. Uh, so put the head back on top of your shoulders. Put your shoulders back on top of your hips. Hips back on top of your feet. Start integrating the basic principles that we break down in the Align Method into your daily life. And it's a big deal. That really, truly becomes the fountain of youth. If you can start to make it so that each moment throughout the day is an opportunity to cultivate your wellness from a physical perspective, uh, also mental, emotional, all the different ways, then you're on track. Your body, your humanity, your organism becomes a self-organizing gizmo, resistant to the trials and tribulations of entropy. So check that out, alignpodcast.com. Uh, you can also check that out, and uh, the link is in the bio on my Instagram page at alignpodcast. And mm, there's also a free uh, user's guide on how to spend time on the ground and how to sit on your chairs. If you have to be on chairs, then that's all good. We can break that down in an effective way, and uh, it's all on there. Um, I think we're good to go. Thanks for reviews on iTunes. I so greatly appreciate it. I literally read every single freaking one. Um, I have them. I'm not going to drum them up because it's going to create a pause in this. So I don't feel like doing it, but I read everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. If you have any tidbits from this that you enjoyed, uh, share it on Instagram, you know, go scream on top of a mountain or something like that. Even if nobody's around, maybe that will imprint it into your hippocampus or something. All right, here we go back to the program with my homeboy slash living legend, Nimai Delgado. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks I for having me. I appreciate you making time. We got tea. We got bottled water. We're in the sauna. We just did some... What did we just do? What just manifested? Uh, well, we did a little breath work, yep. a little Wim Hof. Yep. Then we did, uh, what, some breathless pu- push-ups. Yeah. Which was interesting. That was special. Yeah. Yeah. You grew up in an interesting environment where you did some things that aren't so common for most, uh, you know, most Westerners. Yeah. Where the hell did you grow up? What's the story? Well, I grew up in a place where some Westerners live in uh, South Mississippi, which right. is an uh, interesting place just in itself, like just by, I don't know, just for anyone that's been to Mississippi or lives in Mississippi, it's quite an interesting place once you leave. 
because you see how different the world around it is. And yeah. it took me a while to realize that until I started venturing out when I was a teenager and a little bit older, um, like going to college and doing trips and stuff. I never really traveled that much out of the South yeah. uh, until I came to the West Coast and I saw a huge contrast in the way of life. Mm. Um, but yeah, from a very young age, even I was different from the local community in Mississippi because um, just the environment in which I was raised. And I know you're going to ask this, so I'll just go ahead and dive into it. Both of my parents immigrated to the United States and like how we ended up in Mississippi, um, a little bit of a deeper story. So my parents, you know, they, they were born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina, hmm. uh, pretty standard middle-class lifestyle. My, my grandfather was a pilot. Uh, my mom lived a pretty nice lifestyle. And then I don't know what age she was, maybe 15 or so. She had a boyfriend and Obviously, animal agriculture is really big in Argentina, especially the beef industry. You know, they're known for their steaks and hamburgers yeah, right. and whatnot. Um, national pride. Yeah, that's what they, you know, they're very proud of. So my boy, my mom's boyfriend at the time uh, slaughtered a pig in front of her for a barbecue or something like that. And she became absolutely traumatized to where she could not, in good conscience, ever eat another animal because she just, she's very empathetic. So I was one of the most compassionate people I've ever met in my life, and I'm blessed for that because she happened to be, happens to be my mom as well. But made the decision at that age of 15 that she was never going to consume another animal ever again. Hmm. My grandpa freaked out, uh, tried to <laughs> sway her against that decision because, like most parents, they want their children to grow up healthy, and you know, meat is considered to be like one of those health foods, those staples, right? So uh, she didn't bend, and he, you know, was catering to her lifestyle a little bit. And it turns out that there was this group of people in Argentina at that time that was serving free vegetarian food. And she went strictly for the food because, you know, there wasn't many vegetarian options in Argentina at that time, in Buenos Aires at least. And it turns out it was a Hare Krishna temple. So as they would distribute food, they would also do lectures, uh, quoting scriptures from the Bhagavad Gita mm. and just talking about philosophy and consciousness and you know, whether we have one lifetime or infinite. And uh, she became very intrigued with it that she started following it um, to the point where she chose it as its spiritual practice. And I don't remember how old she was, maybe 19. She basically renounced everything that she was doing and said, I want to devote my life to this. Huh. So she moved into the temple um, around that age, met my dad. Um, how and did her then, parents feel about that? How did her parents? Oh, yeah. my, my, my grandfather was a very... Uh, very devoted Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Oh, he was uh, not happy about it at all. Even it took him quite a while to warm up to the idea of any other spiritual practice outside of uh, Catholicism. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know the exact details of how he took it, but he was tolerant and uh, understood that it was her life. And even though he didn't agree with it, it was still his daughter and he was going to take care of her and always be there for her. Um so anyway, my parents met, and there was another guru that was doing some preaching worldwide, and he ended up coming to Argentina, and my parents heard him speak one time. Um, his name is Achayapod, and they just became very attached to his philosophy of teaching and, and felt very connected to where they wanted to become his disciples. Then they uh, followed him, um, and he ended up telling them about an opportunity to come to the United States to a farm community, and he could help them, you know, make that pilgrimage. And that's how we ended up in South Mississippi and a Hindu commune in, uh, yeah. How do we, we call 
Hari Krishna, like Christian, you say I'm I am a Christian. Do you say I am a Hari Krishna devotee? You, if you say devotee nine times out of ten, say? people know what you're talking about. All right. Yeah, within the community, you say we're a devotee, or you could say you're Vaishnav, which means that you follow Vishnu as one of the uh, one of the gods, mm. you know, or one of the representations of God. Yeah. So how would you define? Is that how you define the? Would it be called a religion? It's a spiritual practice. It, I, I, it's like more of a lifestyle. They don't. It's not classified as a religion per se. Yeah. It's more of a path to reconnect with God. There's multiple paths to get there. I mean, Hindus acknowledge um, most all religions as a as a spiritual path yeah. to reconnect with God and have some type of relationship. It's more of the intricacies that differentiate, you know, majority of religions. But the ethos of most are the same, and same with Hinduism. Even yeah. though it's grossly misunderstood because it is a very complex and convoluted um, religion to understand. There's just so much, you know, volumes of a text describing its entirety that it's almost, you know, to anybody, it's, it's a huge undertaking to try to understand, but the basic print, like foundations are more or less the same. Live oh, a good yeah. life, live a good life, do good, um, do service to God. And you just try to advance your spiritual path or your spiritual life in yeah. this, in this existence. Yeah. It's wild how I feel like the, the core root of what most people want is they want community and tribe and to feel supported and loved and just connected to something. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think oftentimes we can end up creating more separation through having these various different teams in the form of, you know, you know, religion is a very obvious one. Um, nutrition is another one that you're obviously familiar with in mm -hmm. relation to like, like vegan versus, you know, carnivore or omnivore, fruitarian, whatever, all the different teams um, but I think it's in, in the end, at least from the purely religious perspective, it seems like there are consistent threads throughout all of the belief systems, at least that I've seen, yeah. you, know, you know, in like Muslim religion or Christianity or like, you know, if you, I've listened to the Bhagavad Gita, uh, by Eknath Eswaran. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah, I've, read, I've, I've listened to that one too. So good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Like you can pick any of those books and you'd be like, I could base my whole life off of this. Yeah. As could one with the Bible, as could one with the Quran, as could one with the, you know, but then within the text of all of those, I think that the underlying message is acceptance and love and, and then that, and then the team thing manifests and then we kind mm -hmm. of divert away from the actual foundational roots and get into more of this, like, I think like human cultural ego stuff that kind of dilutes the whole message. I think, I don't know. I, I think, I think what it boils, it, you know, I could be completely wrong. This is my opinion is that. We, we see others as doing something different than us, which could infer that one of them is wrong, right or wrong. Yep. And I think that creates a bit of defensiveness, so it does create separation as well amongst religions. You know, there's, again, there's many common grounds amongst religions. There's many common grounds against nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet there ends up being these camps where they are constantly, you know, against each other. Yeah. What does God mean to you? Um, God means energy. And I, I really believe that, that it's this omnipresent energy that never leaves. It's always surrounding us, whether we know it or not. We're energy. We're energetic creatures. We're vessels to transmute energy in its forms. Um, we never stay static, even though we appear and we think that we are separated from our external environment. We're connected in every single way. And I think that is true with God, is that we're connected to him or the energy, whatever you know, acronym you want to use or name yeah. you want to call it. Um, yeah. So I think that, it, you know, each and every one of us is divine. Yeah.
So yeah. what was growing up in a Hare Krishna community like? Can you like paint a picture of what that looks like? Yeah, it's beautiful. It, it's <laughs> absolutely beautiful. You know, I couldn't ex- imagine a, a better upbringing now that I'm older. Yeah. You know, when you're young and you're in it, and I, I left when I was seven. Um, but up until seven, you know, you're very malleable, you know, with your thought process and everything. And it was normal to me, you yeah. know, and I, I would wake up, we'd wake up at like about 4am and we'd go to the temple for something called Mangalartik. It was like the first, um, kind of service of the, of the day. And we'd go see the deities. We'd do some uh, mantra meditation. We'd sing some songs. They'd read some scriptures or some verses from the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, there'd be a little lesson and then I'd go to school. And then that lasted up until I think like second grade or something like that, or maybe, yeah, somewhere around there, first or second grades when I moved out. But the entire community was like so unique in a sense, because we had a, a rescue cow farm, which is like an Ahimsa farm, which means that, you know, we accepted cows from other farming or they were, you know, donated or whatever the the case was. We had these like group of cows that roamed all these different acreages and they would accept milk from the cows whenever they would become naturally impregnated by the other male cows and that that milk would produce you know not enough for everybody but it would produce some milk to provide to the community that they would use for ghee or curd or cheese and milk and all those different things as well as provide manure to fertilize our like almost like a self-sustaining garden where they got a lot of fruits and vegetables and they would cook um for the community and it what was interesting though was that like it consisted of many different, like a diverse group of people. Because like my parents, many of the people that are in that movement, especially at the time of the, when the movement was really picking up steam, the, the, you know, the Hare Krishnas, it was like, you know, late 70s, mid eight, early to late 80s. Um, there was a bit of like a cultural shift. So it was kind of like the people that were unplugging from the matrix and finding this spiritual path. So it was like a very eclectic group of people, but yep. the community was predominantly Hindu and Indian or from, you know, native from India. And uh, then it was like a Latino family, like my family. And there was a few like Caucasian families. Um, so it, I never necessarily felt like I belonged within that community, even though I was raised in it because of, we even were so different than the surrounding families. And then outside of that like bubble, a minority and a minority. Yeah. And then outside of that, <laughs> outside of that bubble, we were another minority because we lived in the Hare Krishna community inside of the Southern Baptist community, wow. you know, all the layers. Yeah. So it was challenging to find identity through all that. Like, who am I? Am I this group? Am I that group? Am I an outcast? And, but do I fit in? Um, that yeah, was challenging, but at the same time, beautiful. You know, I had complete freedom to go roam the woods and play with cows and get dirty and do all this kids shit. I mean, like, like shit kids love to do, yeah. you know, just play. So what was uh, finding an identity that you felt comfortable to wear like? Does that make sense? Yeah, it took me a while. It took me a while. So you don't know you're different until like people pointed out to you totally you know yeah, <laughs> it's wild. like this is just normal for me you know i thought right. everybody grew up going to temples and, and yeah. things like that i mean and different is purely based off of just you know the relative relative to those around you exactly Literally everything is normal yeah there's nothing that is not normal exactly. until you put it relative to something to, else to what just very right? interesting yeah so my <laughs> my what was uh you know again the southern you know christian baptist catholic culture and uh, public school, when I started going to public school, then I noticed I was different. You know, my mom, still remember it, kindergarten, um, bringing me to school in traditional, um, like, garb, like, 
dhotis, which is like you know the robes that oh, man. you wear. You're and asking I, for it. Yeah, I also wore <laughs> I also wore tilak, which is like a clay that you it's like a oh, wow. clay that you put on your forehead, and you you'll see people I thought you had acne or some type of something. <laughs> who knows? Who knows yeah. what they thought? But also wear like jewelry, like necklaces. You wear like neck beads and stuff like that. So my mom, my parents were like so like head of the curve, like just didn't give a shit what good. anyone th- <laughs> thinks man they were just like well, it's yeah. good to teach your kid that early on i think but it's also challenging for the kid yeah <laughs> you know because right. he has to at least in my case i had to kind of like understand that i was different and like get to know that i was different when i didn't know before because you know i was surrounded by other kids that looked like me and talked like me and grew up in the same lifestyle as me and then i went to public school and uh yeah kids would always ask me like why do you wear these things and like i asked my mom to change me to like normal clothes pretty quickly i assume um but then yeah bringing my food to school it was like indian food you know like very aromatic like curry and cumin and turmeric and like these like you open up a a meal prep container and just floods the room with these scents these scents you know and uh everyone's like like what is that what is that food and i'm like i don't know it's just like (laughs) mushy mushy food it was like doll or something like that you know right but uh it was challenging in its own sense because I, I felt Did like, you want Snickers bars and peanut butter sandwiches or what? I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted. You yeah. know, I just didn't understand why I was so different than everyone else. And uh, it, it wasn't until, like, I got questioned so much about it that I just started kind of becoming, like, not not necessarily, like, shy about it, but just kind of apprehensive about sharing mm-hmm. because it was always met with some more questions and to go deeper into why and why and why. And I didn't have those answers as a kid. You know, I didn't have it. I just like, this is just how I am. And uh, I understood that I was different, so I just started sharing less so I could fit in more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that followed me all the way up until middle school, high school. And even I, I, to this day, I, don't, I still don't think like my good friends like truly knew who I was, even though I like was a chameleon. I could fit in with any group. You I know? feel like that's so poignant to people I mean me probably a lot of people listening to this like sharing less so you can fit in more yeah you know I think yeah. that's a very common trend you know because if people see the real you I mean there's a lot of things that of like if they see the real you then that also puts you up on a pedestal to potentially be you know discarded yeah you know and if they discard this true expression of you then that's far more painful than if they discard this like fake version of you beads or this something that's like oh it's not even me anyway yeah 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 exactly and that's a that's a struggle that i think anybody can deal with you know it's like how much of who i am should i share yeah because what if it's met with judgment what if people don't like the real me what if i'll never find somebody that likes the real me and i won't be able to be who i really am so i'll just suppress those feelings and those thoughts to please other people mm. and that that followed me for a long time and even though i was well liked in school um you know i was always like a class clowns like always in the advanced classes so i got along with like the jocks the nerds you know the <laughs> the theater kids the band like everybody like i i meshed really well but i f- still felt like i wasn't able to truly like embrace who i was so they couldn't embrace who i was mm. so how sense. do you get to the point of embracing and have you I think much more now, much, much more now. And that wasn't until um, I'd already went to college. There was a bit of a discovery period in college where I was just, you know, numbing myself with alcohol and and really being self-destructive in a way that I'm surprised that I'm even here today because it was like such a big part of my 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 daily, you know, my, my week was like getting drunk like four out of seven days, you know. And I wouldn't call myself a, an alcoholic or anything, but it was 
Well, because it was normal. It's all it was definitely there was always somebody to do it with, so it was like normal. Yeah. You know, and it was like I was never one of those casual drinkers where I would drink to get a buzz before going to bed or watch a movie and have a glass of wine. I was like, no, I'm going out to get shit faced, yeah. and that's what I want to do. Is like if zero around, to hundred. If you're around a bunch of alcoholics, then nobody's an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's> just <laughs> you know? a bunch of people having a good time. Just having a good time. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Completely common. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Then, then once I um, I graduated college and I had like, I don't know, a few offers on the table. It was like, I don't remember the exact amount. It was like 10 or something like that, all in different industries. And uh, I studied engineering and they had like, I could work for a car company. I could work for a you know, technical company that made gauges. I could work for an oil and gas service company. I could work for an oil and gas producer or like whatever else. And I just wanted the one that was furthest away from the South. And it happened to be an oil and gas company that was offering a position in California. And uh, I had this grand vision of leaving Mississippi and Louisiana to go to the palm trees and the beautiful scenes of Venice Beach and Santa Monica. And what I ended up was in Bakersfield, which is the oh boy. the Mississippi of California. Yeah, it's you know, worst. like going past the cow lot. I there, mean, it's, that's, where, it's, that's where that thing is. I, right? I don't like I don't like you know saying negative things about Bakersfield because it's an it's an area. It was an incubation incubation period of my life where I I grew quite a bit. Uh, but it was a blessing in disguise at the same time because I had this vision of like, oh, now I can finally break free and be cool and be who I want to be. And nobody knows me and whatever else. I can be whoever I want to be essentially. And we go to I go to. Bakersfield, and it was like cow fields, agriculture, uh, guys in big trucks and tattoos and drinking every weekend. It's not it's just like, cow fields. It's the gnarly, yeah. evil, you know, it's the it's like the, the scar of the earth cow fields. Yeah. I mean, you drive past it on, the inter- on I-5, you can see it from the side of the road. You can smell it 10 miles before you get there, yeah. you know? So it, it's an interesting place. But again, I'm, I'm forever grateful for it because I, I learned two things in Bakersfield. One was that I hated engineering. Um flat out there wasn't a day that i went to work that i was excited and that's a terrible thing to say because if you're planning your entire life on being an engineer and you don't enjoy it then what are you doing you know and i struggle with that every single day and i think again it was because i was making decisions that were not you know true to myself and when i studied engineering we came from very very humble beginnings you know my parents came as immigrants they didn't have they didn't even speak english when they came they came with two and a half kids you know pregnant with me and uh, they were able to survive and make a life for, for their kids. And then money was a very hot topic. And it was like such a topic that like it created like extreme anxiety and stress, you know, growing up that it was like, I want a stable, good paying job. Yeah. That's the foundation of why I'm going to school. I want to be able to provide for me without any worries. And uh, that's why I chose engineering and it paid very well. And I quickly realized that money doesn't solve unhappiness. Mm-mm. And... You know, those days when I'd come home from work, I would just go to the gym. And the gym was my my haven. It was my place where I could just let loose. I could just be free. I could work on myself, which I really enjoyed. I could see myself as a project. And, you know, through the lens of an engineer, you can see your body as a series of systems. And if you can learn to optimize those systems, then you can make the machine operate more efficiently. So that's why I looked at exercising the kinetics behind it i looked at nutrition i looked at everything and i started going deep and then i got really interested in fitness and then everything just kind of took off as far as like the results that i was seeing it was fitness a side hustle while you were doing engineering no no no, never never how was the transition from engineering to to being nimai delgado vegan bodybuilder superstar guy 
Yeah, it started with a guy that just suggested I should do a bodybuilding show. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked into the gym one day, and he just said, hey, you're looking pretty good. You should do this this local show that's going on in Bakersfield. And I was like, yeah, right. Like Delgado means thin. Yeah, it does. It means skinny, thin, slender. That's good. Yeah. Nimai the thin. Nimai the thin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fitting. Oh, powerful. It's fitting, yeah. <laughs> I know. People always comment on my socials. Letting me know that, as if I don't Just know so that. You know. Yeah. Hello. Um, How long you've uh, had this name? But, uh... <laughs> it's quite ironic, don't you think? Let you in on something. Yeah. So I ended up doing. I ended up doing that first show, and uh, yeah, I ended up. That was like right around the same time that I went fully plant based, and I ended up doing really well in the show. I took like I swept the whole thing. I came home with like a stupid amount of like trophies. That particular federation gave out too many trophies for too many categories, yep. and. Um, after that, people like kept coming up to me, and they were like, "Oh, how did you train? What did you eat?" Um, and it was my answer was like a very like tricky one because I was like, "Well, you know, I did this whole thing like without any animal products," and then people got really intrigued by it. So I figured, why not start sharing it more on like social media? And at that point, I felt like really comfortable with who I was, and I wasn't like afraid to shy away of like, you know, why I was vegetarian in the first place and why I didn't eat animal products in the first place. Yep. And um, that just happened to be you know, a lot of supporting evidence that's, that showed that there was good benefits to it, like health benefits. So I just started talking about it more from that angle because it was working for me and I was like my own experiment. And then it just kind of like snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. And I never looked at it as a feasible career, you know. It was like never like, oh, I'm going to become a bodybuilder and make money on Instagram or something like that. And it never, never yeah. once crossed my mind until um, things really started picking up. Yeah. And I still had my my doubts about it. So with your so you are very um, vocal about veganism. It's such a weird word. I don't like that's where that's where the whole all like the dietary religious dogma stuff kind of I I step out aside when that becomes like an ism, mm. and I'm like ah like I'm just gonna go have a sandwich and fucking relax yeah, like yeah. not talk about it yeah. Um, but you talk about that. Uh, regularly in your social platforms yeah, just yeah. in general it's like a big part of your your brand yeah um, how much of that for you is like Nimai staying on brand uh, compared to Nimai caring about you know your belief systems around like what supports earth um, compared to being a part of a team or a tribe and wanting mm. to support your other tribal members mm-hmm. um, do you know what I'm saying yeah yeah like what's yeah, yeah the the, the there's a lot of gray mm-hmm. there, right? Um, but first and foremost, I was always plant-based. You know, it, it's who I am to my core. You know, that's when people ask me why they why I have on my Instagram bio says never eaten meat is because I never have. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just something that was instilled in me from since I was born. You know, my parents basically taught me some of the, you know, foundational principles of Hinduism, which is that we don't eat animals. Mm-hmm. And for me, it made sense. Um, just to try to minimize the amount of suffering in the world and, you know, to best, to the best of our abilities, we we're not perfect beings. We're always going to create some type of ripple effect that causes some suffering in the world, but consciously, uh, we should make efforts to reduce that. Um, because once we can all recognize that, you know, by hurting anything else, we're merely hurting ourselves in a sense, whether that's environment, whether that's another person or, or living being, um, once you can celebrate like everybody else's victories and experience every, everybody else's pain then you have a, another sense of connection with people yeah so my 
question is uh, in relation to consumption of anything is at what point do we deem something has worthy enough sentience to say okay that's that's on the no touch list and this is okay this we can you know eat because like i would imagine do you know dr gundry the plant paradox guy mm -hmm. his book's all about like plants having defense mechanisms and like mm -hmm. they don't really want to be eaten by you unless they have seeds and you want to them they want you to poop them out and you know transplant their seeds to another place and grow mm -hmm. that tree you know apple tree whatever those plants are like hell yeah like get me in you you know, but there's certain other plants like uprooting a, you know, <clears throat> a carrot or a potato or something like that where they're like, fuck off. <laughs> you know, like I'm trying to grow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're like, mm -mm, no, you're going to my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting with, um, you know, like the plants responding to music and plants responding to different, if a, if a person comes in and like abuses the plant and chops them and is mean, they'll have a certain electrical stimulus to that compared mm -hmm. to someone that comes in and waters them and nurtures them. And there's this certain like memory. There's one more example before I'll, I'll stop rambling on of, uh, you know, like uh, certain plants, they'll, they'll be able to sense a caterpillar on them. They can literally hear a little going up mm -hmm. and then they'll release these certain i don't know what they are and they're not neurotoxins but some type of something mm -hmm. chemical throughout it to make the plant become bitter same mm -hmm. thing with trees do that with giraffes they can feel the giraffe coming and bite it and they'll send that signal to the rest of the trees like oh god they're coming mm -hmm. um and so i don't have any answer or, uh, of, of any of this stuff I, I think that i'm like predominantly ignorant with most of these things but i think it's an interesting question to ask just in general is like at what point in the hierarchy of things that we put into our face, do we value that sentence enough to be like, okay, that's on the on list, that's on the off list. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's a difficult question. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, to be completely frank, like I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like I, people present this argument all the time that plants have feelings and, and things like that. And I don't have the answer for that, yeah. you know, but for me and my own, you know, my own boundaries is just, extended to the life of, you know, other sentient creatures that, you know, if it has a mouth, <laughs> I don't eat it. If it poops, I don't eat it. If it has offspring, I don't eat it. Like in, yep. in that regard, you know, I don't, I don't get too thoughtful about the details of that. You know, I just, it's come always naturally for me. Yeah. And I think that's something that everybody should decide on their own. Eventually it's I, not, it's not something that is across the board. Uh, equally, because yeah. that's when those those expectations start to arise of how other people should should live their lives, and I think everybody should just kind of take a step back and just really uh, audit how they're living their lives first. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so easy to point the finger at somebody and say you're not perfect and and whatever else. But nobody's fucking perfect. Yeah, you know. I think about it a fair amount only because I care. I think first first and foremost about. Um, I care about the people that I care about, you know, yeah. and I care about you and I care about Andrew Seeley and I care about, um, I don't know, Kyle Kingsbury and Aubrey Marcus and all these, there's like these different camps of people yeah. that I happen to appreciate all of them for various different reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I'm like, I, I really am, am like doing my damnedest to figure out like, okay, like what is the, and I've come up with it. I just don't, I don't know. And I'm doing my best to withhold any form of judgment and just, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a sensitive subject for many because it becomes a religion, right? Food is a religion. And yeah. I, I do believe that food is a, is a gateway to spirituality. 
in the, in the same regard, you know, like what, what vibration you're putting in your mouth has an effect on your physical vibration, you know, your conscious vibration at the same time. So, um, as long as you can just aim to elevate it, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, absolute, but as long as you're making, making the conscious effort to elevate your, your, your consciousness in some way, then I think it's progress. Okay. Not everybody's on the same page yeah, and that's fine. Everybody has a different chapter in a book. Um, we're all just here existing and we can coexist and still get along with each other. But yeah, um, yeah just trying to progress all at the same time. I think what it feels uh, so far where I've, what I've come up with is that the vibration in quotations, which is there isn't any quotations because literally everything vibrates um, of a thing that you're putting into your face. I am the, Personally, pr presently, where I where I'm, you know, I met my my existence is I care most about the history of that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so whether it's an apple or whether it's a you know a, a deer on Maui or whether it's a you know whatever it is, like what was the the timeline and the history of that 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 sentient experience? Mm -hmm. You know, what am I bringing in? And so I think that I wonder if like I think oftentimes an argument from both camps could be you know the the vegetarian vegan side would be looking at meat from the side of like the Bakersfield, you know, yeah. just like that experience went through. We could smell it miles away and it's just like death. And you're like, yeah. Oh God, that's meat. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think that the camp of the meat eater people, they could be saying like, well, Monsanto and, you know, pesticides and GMOs mm -hmm. and, you know, they're like monocropping and cutting, destroying these whole ecosystems to create soybeans. And, mm -hmm. you know, like there's so much death that resides within the production of that, you know, that bean that now we're that corn. Yeah. You know, and so I, I feel like similar to the religious conversation, both camps, I feel like for the most part, probably mean well. And I, I, I have a sense that the, the meeting point in the middle is like, what's the history of what, how we're treating, you know, the, the land mm -hmm. to create whatever the stuff is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that sound yeah, crazy? No, for sure. I, I think at one point we we're like symbiotic with our, re with our relationship with the, our environment. Yeah. At one point we've since evolved or, you know, culture has grown to a point where we're like overflowing with people and not enough resources. So there has to be some kind of compensation to supply, or maybe our overconsumption is just uh, one of the problems, but it's like, mm. we don't live in a natural world that the same natural world that we lived in, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, especially not thousands of years ago. So yeah, I think something needs to happen. I don't have the answer for that either. Yeah. You know, I'm just helping bring awareness to the fact that something needs to change. Yeah. Maybe there isn't a perfect system. I don't believe in perfection in any regard, but hmm. um, yeah, I think as long as enough people can bring to light that some this unsustainable direction that we're headed to needs to shift, um, then, you know, at least we're heading somewhere. Yeah. One thing that I think is very interesting that you have been uh, a key part for uh, me and probably lots of other people, I'd imagine, of kind of like breaking my previously held belief system of like it's pretty hard to you know gain muscle the way that you have with you know out consuming some form of animal protein whether it's like eggs or fish oil or something like that mm -hmm. um so what does that look like and do you and do you think that that's something that is sustainable for every person or do you think that perhaps your body type is is different your genetics or do, what do you think about that I don't think I'm some kind of genetic outlier yeah. that processes food in a different way than 
you know, the majority of people. Um, I think to an extent being raised vegetarian and probably consuming a lot of plants helped me, you know, my digestive system assimilate vegetables really well because that's what I was feeding it. Right. Um, I wasn't always the healthiest, you know, I ate a lot of junk food and stuff as a teenager and whatever else, but, um, I, I think it boils down to the will of the person, you know, whatever the why of that person is like the driver for everything that they do. And, and for me, it's just like, it's not a, I hate saying diet because I feel like there's like a beginning and an end to a diet. It's, it's like purely like a pillar of who I am. So yeah. it's not like a, a question for me of how I'm going to live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's always been normal and sustainable. And when I took it just one step further and just eliminated every single animal product at, at, you know, when I went vegan in like 2000, late 2014, early 15, I was just pounding like whey protein shakes, right. you know, because I thought I had to, to build muscle. <laughs> um, but what happened was once I cut that out, I started building m- far more muscle than I did when I was taking those, those animal products. So hmm. it's like, why do you think that is? could be a combination of things. I don't know. Um, I, I changed my training style to be more regimented, like an actual structured periodized training, you know, program. Uh, I also started tracking my food and my calories to see how much I was eating, like to a T, like there wasn't a day I didn't do it. Um, You're the engineer. I'm data driven. Nimai the thin. Dude, (laughs) (laughs) this thin guy, this thin guy was driven driven. to to build more muscle. (laughs) And part of it was ego. I mean, part of it was like proving to other people that it could be done, you know, because I've been told my whole life that, you know, he's small because he's a vegetarian and you need meat to get big. And, you know, all that shit was like always in the back of my mind. And I thought to myself, I know it's true. I know, like, I feel completely fine. I know I can do this. I'm just going to fucking do it. And, um, once I did it, then it was like, okay, how far can I take this? Like, cause the next challenge that I was met with was like, yeah, you competed in a natural show. It's easy to win a natural show. Uh, it was a small group of people, you know, you just showed up that day and won against the competition. You could never compete in an untested league. And I was like, okay, I think I can. And then like a couple of weeks later I did it and I won that one. And then it was really? like, and then the next. So everybody op- was juicing. Were you juicing? No, no, there was no need to. I mean, it was four weeks later after the first one. Yeah. Um, and there was no need to. I, I genuinely thought I could hold my own. And then after the the, the untested one in the NPC, um, the next argument was, yeah, but you could never compete against the pro, le- like get to the pro level because you have to take gear and um, just it takes years or whatever else. And ended up doing that. And then the next thing is, you know, but you'll never be Mr. Olympia or whatever. And it's like, dude, like even if it was my goal to become Mr. Olympia, the, the uh, just the slim amount of chances that it would take to become that hold that title is so small like people don't understand and they always bring up this argument against vegans saying that like how come a vegans never won mr olympia it was like well just fucking think about it from a st- statistical point of view like how many vegans are there in the, compared to the rest of the population not maybe one percent two percent maybe three i don't know it's probably risen a little bit in the past couple of years but like of that population how many people are into fitness i don't know maybe half and then of that population how many people are willing to bodybuild you know make that circle a little smaller. And then how many people are, have the genetic potential to compete yeah. and the work ethic to actually have that goal of being a professional, anything. Plus the whole cultural belief system is such that it's, that seems like an impossibility. So from a early age, that yeah. person be like, okay, well that's not the track. Yeah. So it kind of takes it off the, off the plate in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. So it's just lack of representation, I think is what, you know, one of the reasons why there's so many people that are just skeptical about, vegan diets, vegan lifestyles, whatever it is, uh, just non-animal consuming 
lifestyles. Yep. Um, but what kind of supplementation do you think is necessary? And is supplementation necessary to be in like a performance bodybuilding level and be vegan? Yeah, I, I think that... Because non-vegan people are eating a buttload of supplements as well, so it's yeah. kind of a weird question. It's a weird argument. Yeah. It's a weird argument that guys that take, you know, three protein, four protein shakes a day are asking me where I get my protein from. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, oh, but you have to supplement because you can't get enough protein in your diet. It's like, bro, if you're getting protein in your diet, why are you supplementing with yeah. 100 you literally grams of have a, Yeah, a <laughs> biotech whatever shake like, in yeah. your hand as yeah. we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> and like 95% of the supplements on the market are non-vegan, so they're made for non-vegans, you know, yeah. so they wouldn't even take them. But uh, again, it's like, I think there's a few critical like health considerations that people should be aware of. And the first one is B12, right? You always hear about there's a lack of B12 and abundance in a, this, you know, in a plants that can provide you with enough to have like a healthy, you know, cognitive function and cellular function, everything. So I would think definitely supplement with B12. Um, Where does one get that? Is it just a bottle that says B12 or is yeah, there any other? Yeah, there's several different forms of B12. You can, it's pretty easy to synthesize. Okay. Um, you can do methylcobalamin or the cyanocobalamin, any form most of the studies are done on methyl i believe hmm. um but yeah you could just take a supplement there um the other one i would say that is effective for a bodybuilder like like athletes in general require different calorie you know considerations and nutrient considerations because they're putting their body under an extreme amount of stress compared to the normal person so an average sedentary person may not need to supplement any kind of sports supplements like protein shakes or whatever um but for me i i, I use creatine Creatine's yeah. been very effective for me. Um, How often do you, do you you cycle on? I imagine, or you're just I'm really bad. All the time? I'm really bad at remembering to take supplements. Which means like, you cycle on it. You just don't realize it. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would oh, say I'm like a few days, this. a few days on, and then a couple days I'll forget, yeah, and then another. The yeah, 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 yeah. I'm very like I'm done. I'm, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I think I'm on <laughs> yeah. a load phase. Cause yeah, I, you know, I actually did it today. <laughs> yeah. People ask me this question all the time, like, "What's your supplement like stack like?" And I'm like, I mean, really, it's pretty minimal, like creatine protein shakes because i love smoothies and then b12 d3 and omegas are you using like hemp protein or are you using no i use pea okay yeah it's like, a, it's like a it's like a i just i like hemp I, i'm biased because i think weed is cool but and hemp is just, you know there's it's it's very bioavailable and yeah it's like there's yeah a lot of really i, I think it's just I, it's actually a blend the one that I, the one i was using was a pea and hemp blend it was like 80 20 pea to hemp i don't want to talk about only this but i think it is interesting for because i think it's really fascinating i think it's very cool um, and admirable, and I mean, maybe not even admirable, it's maybe just cool. You're just, just eating vegetarian and fucking dumb bodybuilding. It's maybe not that yeah. big a deal at all. To me, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, no. But to a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, the same reason, the same way I think it was normal the way I grew up. Yeah. You know? Right. To me. Yeah. But other people, not so much. So, what do people, where do people flail with the plant-based approach and why is it that oftentimes there is the vegan person that comes in and they're very outspoken and they have shadows into their eyes and they're gaunt and they're like telling everybody why they're you know killing themselves in the world what is that person doing wrong and, and maybe that's a misrepresentation it's probably misrepresentation i apologize to a little well, that, to a degree i apologize degree. but there's a the, like this the the idea the stereotype yeah i can i can i can see from any oh, a meat eater yeah would be yeah. that person that's like you like you know, it seems like you need some, some meat in your life, sir. What are they doing wrong? Or did you, in, in your eyes, does that uh, not exist? That somebody's are doing something wrong on a vegan diet? Listen, man, everybody's going to do them. Yeah. You know, whatever they think is right in their heart. It's hard to like sway people one way or the other. Yeah. Um, that's why I don't even stress about it. 
too much. Like my whole ethos of like talking about what I do is to just share the information yeah. for those that are willing to listen and are curious. I'm here to talk. Yeah. If not, I'm not trying to be combative. I'm not trying to force anything down anyone's throat. Like this is just what I believe to be the best approach for me. And I want to show people that it can be done. Yep. And that way, for those that have the curiosity to maybe pursue that or need the inspiration to do that, then I'm here for them. But what's so my my question was was is too much. Is where where do people go wrong with a plant based diet? Like uh, from a practical point of view. Yeah. Um. Because I think that something that, like eighty percent of people do not sustain. This is a yeah, statistic that I've heard, but do not for su- sure. su- sustain that diet. So for like sure. for that eighty percent, what's happening? Yeah, I, I think that's probably many diets. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just vegan diets. I mean I'd love to see the numbers for keto diets or paleo diets or any any diet. You yeah. know, what the actual adherence rate is after the, the time frame is over, you know, or if that's a very good point. Yeah, you know, um I think it just it, it's up to it's up to the individual, you know. There's so many factors there, whether it's I think the biggest of which is social, um not necessarily, and the second maybe yeah. education would be the next one. Is people don't necessarily know what they're getting into. They think it's could be easy, and for most people, it it is. Uh, it just takes a little bit of research that most people aren't necessarily willing to do, or maybe a little bit of changes that become too inconvenient for them to adhere mm-hmm. for a sust- extended period of time. Um, so my advice to them would just say, you know, do a little bit of research as far as like what foods are available. Um, make sure that you're eating foods that are calorically dense and not just lettuce and salads because that's the biggest mistake that I see is when people are like, okay, I'm going to go vegan. I'm just going to remove, you know, if you had a plate full of meat and rice and potatoes and veggies and they just remove the meat and they just eat the rest and it's like, well, you just removed like 300 calories from your yeah, plate. That was should, a placeholder. There was a reason that was probably re- replace that with something just yeah. to meet the same amount of calories that you are consuming. So naturally I could see why people get fatigued when they go on vegan diets and they do the same amount of, you know, calorie expenditure throughout the day, but they're eating six to a thousand, 600 to a thousand calories less. Yeah. So what know? was a steak or chicken or salmon? What, what do we put there? You could put, you know, veggie burgers, you could put tofu, you could put more rice and green vegetables, you could put, you know, there's there's tons of other, like, calorically dense foods that you could replace that with. Um, For me, it's just eat a variety of different plant foods. I think that's what, like, opens up the door for a lot of people is that they just eat the same, you know, 10, 15 foods, ingredients, more or less. You know, every time you go grocery shopping, how outside of the box do you really get? It's about learning those same comfort foods that you really enjoy and just kind of fine-tuning it for your personal goals, whatever that is. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd say that's the biggest, mis- the biggest two down pitfalls for people that try vegan diets, but don't last is, is but number one for sure being social pressure. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Because well, it's, sorry to cut you off. No, it's just no, like, no, this is just go. something that I, I see and I yeah, witness course, quite I'm a bit. Curious what I've, the I've, world looks like from your eyes. Yeah. That. Well, I've just coached so many people and the biggest thing that I always get is like, I end up being a counselor, not necessarily a coach. And it's like, how do I deal with my husband telling me that what I'm doing is wrong and I'm going to become unhealthy? Or how do I deal with my health professional that is, you know, questioning me and the, the way I'm feeding my daughter and all this stuff? Like, those are really challenging things to, to, to argue, yeah. you know? Um, so I would say that, like, having a strong foundation of why you're doing it and just having the confidence that it is feasible, just like any lifestyle, you have to understand the nature of what you're doing. And most people don't have this, the, even the slightest idea about nutrition. That's why we're so easily duped in this country as far as like to eat foods that we think are healthy. And it's like, nobody even looks at the back of a label these days. They just blindly shove it in their mouth and like, oh, this is yeah. delicious. How important is visualization for you with, in regards to building muscle? 
and sculpting and crafting your body. Like, like going back to like Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron, like, you know, he smokes some weed and puts his mind into the muscle and it's like him coming every time working out. I get (laughs) to come all day. Coming on stage. Coming backstage. (laughs) Coming at home. Coming in the gym. But a lot of, of what he was getting at with that but outside of the, the, the ejaculation part was um, <laughs> actually like literally putting his mind yeah. into the muscle, wherever the mind lives. That's an interesting question. Where does the mind live? That'd be, that's maybe mm, that'd be the next a whole one. Another one. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but is that a, a thing? Because there's lots of research around the power of this. I have in my book actually, Power of Visualization, actually literally um, building these neuromuscular connections so that you're almost, in a sense, strength training or bodybuilding just through mm-hmm. putting yourself into these different parts of your body mm-hmm. and i have a feeling that a lot of the actual physical fitness and such the practices the movement practices that we're doing a large part of that is that when we're physically doing the thing inevitably we're mentally emotionally there as well yeah so we craft that through our presence of actually like being there because you have to be there to do it yeah but can you take yourself out of the physical experience and go and actually visualize and actually have effect that was a long way of not asking a question no i understand the question <laughs> i understand the question i, I think it's you know it's it, it's something you may not realize that you're doing yeah. half the time like whenever i made the decision that i was going to compete i was like okay i have to embody a person that looks worthy of being up there what does that look like it looks like a guy that's got big shoulders big chest big back you know what i mean i just got to get those bigger and then same thing with like anything that you like have the like the idea of who you want to be or who you want to become is that you have to step into that person so you have to really believe that you are that person now not like in the future like embody that personality trait or whoever that is today in this moment right now so like Mm. whenever you step in the gym be a fucking monster like Mm. be that person that you like inspires you to like that one guy you see in the gym that's like like just grunting and doing everything possible to like excrete every ounce of effort in his bones to lift this weight like embody that Mm. you know and you'll get there a lot quicker and it's the same thing with anything not just bodybuilding with like career um whether you want to learn a new skill like somebody you look up to like i mean whatever it is you can be that person now and just like reap the benefits of it. I always tell people like, this is like a little bit of a different way of looking at it is like, instead of getting so focused on the end result of being like, I'm going to be this big dude. I'm going to, you know, get these girls. I'm going to look confident or whatever. Just like, you can be confident now. You can be confident in the fact that you're on your way to become that like much like bigger version or that idealistic version of yourself. Um, But you have to find joy in the process of it. So if you learn to master like just the repetition, that's all it is. Hmm. But if you do that 10,000 times and like do it correctly and do it effectively, then you'll get to that place a lot better. So having that mindset with everything you do, if you embody that person with every single action that you take, you become that person much, much quicker. Yeah. If that makes sense. Have you, do you journal much or have you much? No, hmm. I should. Hmm. No, well, yeah. It's a thought. It seems like everyone's working. Yeah. yeah. I have a lot of people tell me about it. I always, <laughs> I always mean to do it. You mean like with a with a pen. Yeah, I always mean to do it, but then it's like I never know what to write. Whenever I get the pen and paper, I'm just like, dear Nimai. If you did, what do you think you'd write? If what would I write? Yeah. I feel like I'd write the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd write the same shit over and over. And this is a problem. What would, for me it, what would it be? Oh man, like, how can I grow? Hmm. How can I become a better person? How can I help those around me? I would just ask myself those questions and force myself to explore new, like new areas of growth. What do you think the answer to that would be? 
just work on myself, you know, yeah. just work on myself. That way I can be more compassionate. I can be of service to more people. So that's what I like, not to blow smoke up your ass, but that's what I um, appreciate about you in particular is um, I think with people in general, I think especially in this, this day and age where everybody is like, you know, they're becoming their own brand and they have to have something meaningful and wise to say and post on Facebook or whatever. Um, sometimes it's okay to not have something to say. And sometimes it's okay to wait and like keep on working on your craft and yourself and, and just fucking drilling down on that thing until people can't not ask questions because they're yeah. so curious what you're doing. And I feel like you have come from a very, um, I appreciate the place that you come from with the whole, you know, dietary stuff because it seems like you do a good job with just kind of like, you know, look, this is what I'm doing. If you would like to learn about it, then I will be open and, you know, appreciate your questions and talk to you about it, but I'm not trying to drill it into you. Yeah. And that's, that is, that is the glitch where a lot of the, the religious dogmas or nutritional dogmas or whatever, that's where the clash happens where it's like, well, no one was asking that person's opinion. Yeah. Like, no, <laughs> like I'm not asking for your nutritional advice, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's but like, you're but, you're, like, but you're still telling me. Yeah, I'm just throwing it at you. <laughs> you take this. <laughs> you will have this, sir. <laughs> no, but it's true though. I mean, we, we live in a world where everyone's giving advice and shit, and you take a like a quick look at the person, and you're kind of questioning, like, should you really be giving yeah, advice? What are you? But you nowadays, everybody's advice. an influencer. That's the thing is that yeah. everyone is an influencer, and they believe that they are. But they believe they have to be. True. You know? True. I mean, that's a model that has been proven to work these days to get you, to, I mean, to whatever perceived success that is. Yeah. You know, having followers or um, likes and So what stuff do you like want to do with your platform? Continue to educate. I, I think education and inspiring is something that I really want to do. Um, I always, like, think of my younger self when I do things. So it's like, what would little Nimai needed at this stage in his life, you know, when I was 10, mm. you know, what kind of like representation would I have liked to see, you know, out in the world that I could have like grown from, you know, that I didn't have to figure out things the hard way. So if I could become that for some people or some one person, then I would be like extremely satisfied because it, it's like kind of like passing it forward, you know, like paying it forward. Um, yeah. I, I think of, I think of children a lot for some reason. And I think that it's like, I'm a big kid at heart and I think I like I went through a lot as a kid and I just want to make that experience for kids like a little bit easier because I know how I know how hard it can be for those kids you know yeah yeah and adults and man like, we're yeah. all kids we're kids in adult bodies we're all man fucking, yeah, we're adult, we are we're adult costumes we are <laughs> and people don't realize it and people don't realize it and that's why people get so upset and they act like they just can't get what they're feeling out you know? Yeah. And a lot of times it's not even what's in front of them. It's not the trigger. It's the root, like way deep, deep, deep down. And it normally boils down to something that happened to you when you were a kid, yeah. you know? So if you can make that child experience like a little bit better for everyone, I think the world would be a much different place. Hmm. So I just keep that in mind. You yeah. know, I was, I was, I'm, I'm mindful of like who watches me, you know, mm -hmm. even though I don't, I have no idea who's watching me. It's very strange. I just, I just keep that in mind at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, of course, man. I appreciate you making time. Yeah, thanks for having me in your hot-ass sauna. Where should, what should people do? Where should people go uh, from just here? Keep living your life if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I was uh, going to say. Yeah. I don't know what you guys should do listening uh, to this. Yeah. Um, 
Do check, out your, check out your gram. Check out yeah. your whatever. Sell yeah. some shit, you Eli. Can, you can Hit us. You can look at the Instagram. The you can look at Instagram if you like to. <laughs> if you don't and you never hear from me again, I'm just wishing you the best and sending you love and light. You know, it's just, I don't know. Something I would say is just like, it's so tough when you ask these questions, you know. What advice do you give random people that you don't know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just do you. Mm-hmm. Just do you and do it like authentically and do it proudly and just don't question your gut, you know, because mm-hmm. deep down we know who we are, but we're too afraid to show it because we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid that we won't make it to wherever we want to go. Um, but a lot of times when you do align yourself and with, you know, who you truly are with your actions and your thoughts and your words, then like truly wonderful things can happen. So, mm. oh. yeah. And uh, so I'll... I'll tell people to go to your, what is your Instagram <laughs> handle? Nimai Delgado. Yeah. Yeah. Nimai underscore Delgado. Like right. across everything. Do you have other shit that I should tell people to go to? You I've got a podcast. Oh, a yeah. podcast. Yeah, I've got a podcast. People listen to me on the podcast. Whatever yeah. the heck that is. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be. It's called uh, Generation V. <laughs> I interview a lot of cool people. Yeah. So again, Generation V stands for the next generation of young people that are going to go on and do amazing things. So cool. I wanted to honor that. What, so would other, what would other other good episodes be to listen to? Uh, man, I've got really good ones. Paul DeGelder is one of my favorite. He was, you know, half eaten by a shark and oh, yeah, lived, no, a tale, lived to tell the tale. Just yeah, incredibly funny dude at the same time. Um, Tim Coleman was another good one. He was just on Dr. G's show cool. as well, um, talking about trauma, how to release trauma. Really good. So, yeah, a lot fun. of good, fun episodes on there. All right. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Of course, brother. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation with my dear friend, Nimai Delgado. He is one of the people that I, I really appreciate most. Um, so it was a privilege to get to share that with y'all. Uh, if you found any insights that you found to be helpful, you'd like to share, or just, just for the sake of um, re-imprinting them in your own mind, your own memory, uh, Please share them on Instagram, share them, you know, wherever you'd like. Uh, you can tag Align Podcast, A-L-I-G-M Podcast. Uh, you could also tag Nimai Delgado. Nimai spelled N-I-M-A-I. And then Delgado. Delgado. Nimai the Thin. Delgado means thin in Spanish. And if you guys are interested in learning some fundamental breath work practices, uh, also self-care practices to alleviate things like neck pain, shoulder stiffness, hip stiffness, anything like that, highly recommend jumping over to alignpodcast.com and uh, beginning that seven days absolutely free of the Align Method online program. And we get into some fundamentals in there that are are invaluable and uh, you'll really appreciate. People have been really digging that. So I appreciate y'all jumping onto that. And then there's the Align Band, which is a heavy duty resistance band, door anchor, user's guide, all that stuff that comes along with that if you continue on beyond that that week. All right, I'm going to go back to picking up rocks and uh, mulching the yard here good old band Oregon. I will see y'all next week and uh, hope you stay safe. Hope you stay sane. And that's all I got to say. Bye now.